Oh, 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 what is that noise? It's so cold. Why is it so cold? Oh, mm. oh that's better. Oh, that's better. Howdy, y'all. This episode is brought to you by our partners at Cosmetic. Cosmetic is a CBD skincare company making some of the best topical CBD products on the market. From body butter and massage oil to lip balm, mud masks, all that, Cosmetic has the product for you. All of their products are loaded with their patented water-soluble CBD solution, ensuring maximum absorption into your skin. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com, and use the promo code SOS20 to get 20% off of your order at checkout. There you have it. Showtime. Welcome in, guys. South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. I am the host of this podcast, and I appreciate you guys being here. I've got uh, Travis Wyrick on the show today. If you've been around long enough, you know who Travis Wyrick is uh, because he's been doing it at a high level for a really long time. He's a uh, music producer. He's recorded with a bunch of artists that you've heard about, heard of, listened to. Uh, P.O.D. Ten Years, Dolly Parton, to name a few of those. Uh, Travis is a great dude. I'm so glad to finally get to meet him. Uh, that's one of the really cool things about this podcast uh, that I'm really digging is that I get a chance to talk to these people who I've heard about, known about forever, and uh, it's really cool to get to sit down and talk to him for an hour where otherwise I, would, I wouldn't get that time. So uh, this is one of those where uh, I, I really appreciated him being here and it felt like a long time coming. Uh, also, I hope everybody is planning on voting tomorrow if you haven't already. Uh, it's a really important thing to do if you live in Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Arizona, Michigan, Tennessee, not so much. I mean, not to be negative about it, but I watched this uh, documentary on uh, documentary miniseries on Netflix called Whose Vote Counts and uh, really shows you how kind of backwards and antiquated the, the election process uh, can be. And uh, that's a fantastic three-part series to check out if you're looking for something to do around election time. Uh, I voted. I hope you guys did, too. Uh, but but Travis and I, uh, Travis Wyrick, we chatted for uh, a couple weeks. It was a couple weeks ago when he came in. We it was right after Eddie Van Halen had died, so you may hear some references to that while we were we were chatting. It feels like a lifetime ago because so much has happened since then. But uh, it was it was awesome to, like I said, finally sit down and, and chat with him because his hustle and his grind is such a an awesome story. And uh, he may come back and he may come back on the show sometime. Uh, because I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface and there was so much more we could have talked about. But let's let's do it. Let's get into it. Here we go, guys. The man, Travis Wyrick. We're doing the podcast. Travis. Check, check. You're here. I made it. You made, you made it. I made it. Yeah. I'll kill you highway. It's it's nerve-wracking out here. If I don't drink I my coffee it. in the morning, I don't need to because I turn left across there and I'm like, jazzed up. I've already taken my life into my own hands. There was a time in life when my, my kids were never allowed to drive on Alcoa Highway. Yeah. Your kids were driving age? Oh, God. I got three in college. Oh, man. I know. 
It, well, and I was an empty nest and COVID brought them home to me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Or not. I don't know. Well, it, no, it was awesome. I love hanging around my kids. And um, so they are all three, like as of last week back to Orlando, Florida, Auburn University. Yeah. And uh, UT. Yeah. So, are they in the business? No, my daughter is very, very good. She's a great piano player, singer, songwriter, um, loves it, does it, but is smart enough to know that, you know, it's a 3% chance. Yeah. Um, and so, she, you know, I always say, go get your documents and your career and your paper. And then if you want to chase your dream after college, let's do it. But yeah. she, she played with Eric Baker at the Bijou and oh, she, yeah, cool. she's, she's on iTunes and, and then my oldest, Oh, it's fantastic too. He's got uh, just like this chill, laid back Ryan Adams vibe. He's just cool. now getting into the, you know, the, I call it like it's pop, but it's not, it's more that Euro pop, okay. not post Malone, but you know, so, you know, and so, yeah, they love it. They, they totally love it. My third one, he's basketball. He's a uh, sports guy. Yeah. Sporty spice. Yeah. I, I've, it, it always seems like it goes kind of one of two ways when kids are in high school and all that. They either do the sports thing or they do the arts thing. Yeah, and you got to do something. You know, if you don't do something, you'll get arrested for something. So yeah. that was my thing. You just got to stay busy. And and it was always sports with them. You know, and uh, you know, I, I would buy them guitars and I get all excited. But I think when your dad does it for a living, it's just not that cool. Yeah. Did you push it on him? No. no. Other than oh look, Christmas a guitar. Yeah. Yay! What's a guitar? You know. And so eventually, I think they finally, you know, their whole life has been their dad's a music guy. And, you know, there's a studio in the basement and yeah. POD is hanging out. Dolly Parton came Thursday, you know, just so it's just it's just Tuesday to them. Yeah. And then they get to the age where people are like, did I see Dolly Parton on your dad's face? Was he at your, you know, and they're like, yeah, she yeah. <laughs> You is know, that not what everybody yeah, does? That, well, I remember one of my friends, like when the, the their daughters were playing or something, yeah, said her daughter was like, so where's your, where's your dad's studio? You know, she was at the, the other friends like, let's go down in your dad's studio and play drums. They're like, my dad doesn't have a studio. <laughs> she just thought everybody's dad had toys in the basement. <laughs> where's, where's all of his Les Pauls? Yeah. I mean, this looks like a house, but I don't see a studio anywhere. So. And so they finally, and then it got to be where they'd spend the night and then they'd try to talk me into singing karaoke, you know, and I'd be yeah. like, yeah, you know, and we'd go down and do it. And, uh, but that's actually, ironically, we were singing one Sunday morning, you know, Hey dad, can, you know, me and my friends go down and sing and, and start, you know, normally it was kids bop, you know, where they're just la 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 la, you yeah. know, and you're like, okay, great. And all of a sudden she went in there and she just, you know, I, I pulled up a karaoke track. You know, we bought it on iTunes or whatever. And she starts singing. I'm drinking coffee, watching, you know, NFL Countdown or something. Yeah. And I remember she starts singing. And it was like, okay, wait. She had, you know, I don't even think it was a puberty thing. I just think she finally figured out after, you know, screaming Kelly Clarkson and all these girls in her room how to get that sound. Yeah. You know, I say all the time in the studio, it's tone, T-O-N-E. You can sing in key, great. Doesn't matter. When you find tone, Eric Baker has tone. Yeah. You know. Um, and she just sang, you know, she was still a kid with braces and you could hear the breath, but it was just saying going, 
oh my gosh, she she can sing, you know, because before it was just, ah, ah, you know, like, oh yeah, I love you. Yeah, you it's are, like, you are cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, the karaoke thing, it's like people, people get up there and sing and you're like, okay, yeah, you can kind of imitate that. Yeah. But like, can, can you find your own tone and your own yeah. voice? I've, I've done that. I've recorded like some scratch audio for some stuff that we've had to record in the past. And it's like, Man, I, like I'm hitting the notes, but there's something that's there's that just a, I don't I don't quite have it. You've got a good speaking voice. Do you, did you sing too? I, so I was the backup singer. I learned to talk slow, and you know all the we had friends that would help us. Like they'd say, "Hey, when you're doing interviews, slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, pronounce your. You know, I was like, thanks, man. You know, and again, mentors. I was so blessed. All, for no apparent reason, people would say, hey, Travis, you're doing really good at this. You're doing real bad at this. And let me give you some advice. And I'd be like, please tell me what's up. You know, yeah. I was never, oh, I, I got this. You know, yeah. the day you think you know everything, you're done. What's the Mark Twain quote? It's like, you know, when I was 14, I used to think my dad was a complete imbecile. But when, <laughs> when I turned 21, I was amazed at how much the old man had learned in just seven short years. Yeah, amen. Like, amen. Gosh, amen. Just... Well, and again, the older we get, the more we realize we still don't know anything. Absolutely. And at 18, you know everything. Yeah. 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 I remember that. That's why I we get incarcerated it. at 18. Yeah. I noticed with young people that want to come that want to come to work with us now in the in the film business and all that, the ones that seem to do the best are the ones that know that that, that know that they don't know what yeah. they don't know. Amen. You know, uh, Terry Hill was who was a legend in Knoxville. He passed away years ago, and he and I befriended as gu- uh, guitar teachers at different music stores. Mm. And he was one of the first guys that said, "If you don't know." say you don't right because i would go yeah 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 and and he would kind of look at me like and so then he'd throw me under the bus you know we'd be playing guitar i was very ear you know i could hear it and play Mm -hmm. it and i i could play anything but i didn't know what i was doing right and he was kind of feeling me out and and so you know well that's a you know a minor and it's a major you you know that and i was like yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and he kind of so he and then he goes so you don't know that? I said, no. He said, but you just told me you did. <laughs> and he said, let me help you. You know, yeah. again, thank you, mentor. Sure. Don't, if you don't know, the smartest answer in the room is, hey, I don't know. I agree you know, 100%. Can you explain to me what that is? Or more importantly, don't talk about game you don't have. I mean, you'll get yourself in trouble. Right? Absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a certain amount of fake it till you make it that'll yeah. ma- that that works, but at, at some point you can get in over your head pretty quick yeah. if you're not careful. And and when you get to a level where people are counting on you and people are expecting you yeah. to, to to back up what you're saying, that's when it can be dangerous. Or even someone saying, "Hey, what about this?" And I will say, "No, but I got a guy." Mm. Yeah. I don't have. There was a point in my life where I felt obligated that I had to be doing everything, not out of ego, but just out of obligation. Sure. But then I realized, and actually, Halloran Hill, another dear friend and mentor, who said, "Hey, Travis, here's what you're doing right. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're doing wrong." Yeah. And it was it was find people in your life to do that for you because you do this, and so someone else needs to do this so you can focus on being the best you. Yeah. And I, you know, sitting because I was trying to build a website because I didn't know how to, you know. He goes, hire someone. Right. You know, you do you. You know, God put you on this earth and gave you a talent. And it's not to say learn one trick and be done, but it is to say know what you can't do. Sometimes being a good facilitator, you can plus everybody too. Absolutely. If you're bringing the right pieces to 
together. You're yeah. you're succeeding at you know more than a, some of your parts kind of level. Well, and, and mutual friend Mike Deering. I mean, yeah. just you know, we worked together for years, and I say work together because you know, even though you know we each had our roles, you know, but I would constantly, hey, what about this and what? Mm. And he would learn a trick, and I go, hey, show me that trick, you know, because he just went to YouTube and learned a trick. Oh, that's a cool trick. Show me that trick. Or he'd ask me. He had no humility, you know. He. Or no, he had humility. Yeah, no where, ego. Hey, so what about this and the, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's why he and I worked together for so long and we worked so well together. And he even told me from early on, he said, Travis, the best way for you to con to help people is to assign different parts and trust that they're going to do it. And and he kind of was really forcing that upon me going, in other words, if you're going to give me a task, leave me alone. Kind of like a don't, <laughs> don't micromanage kind of thing. Yeah, big time. And, yeah. and he was right. I thought, you know, I, I'm going to trust that he's going to nail it. And he, he always would. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, you know, I, I don't know anybody who can, who can do everything really well, except maybe except my dear. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, you know, over the years, you, you know, all these people you meet and you start to realize some people need to, visually some people mm -hmm. want to read that document i i don't do comprehensive right <laughs> period yeah mike d was funny because he go I'd, I'd be showing him something and, and and he go well you don't even have to talk just do it and i'll watch you mm. and i do it and then he go okay do it one more time he'd have it forever picked it up forever yeah, yeah. It'd be 30 things in a row. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He just, I got it. Mm -hmm. And and he's great. He and I make a good team because he, like, like I said, he can do just about everything. Yeah. Uh, but I deal with the people part, you know, that's, that's our, that's our agreement. <laughs> he's right. like, I'll, I'll light, I'll shoot, I'll do audio. You do people. You do the people. I'm like, <laughs> I this is a great, this is a great team. Well, and he and I, you know, we would be, he'd hear me talking to a client or to a label or to, you know, and he'd just turn around and go, man, I just don't like that part. I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't either, yeah. but I can do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's has to be done, I suppose. Did you grow up here? I did. I went to Farragut High School. Okay. I was born in Atlanta. Okay. Ironically, long version, I lived in Texas, Jersey. Um, let me think about this. Florida, uh, Orange County, California, and all this before the age of like five or six. Oh, really? Dad was a traveling salesman. Mm. And finally came home to Knoxville, went and lived and went to Farragut from probably primary on dad yeah. was a traveling salesman that's <clears throat> i always hear that and i'm like that's not a real thing is it yeah it no, is. <laughs> right right traveling man that's different what did he sell rambling man he was with a telemarketing company back when intercom systems yeah. and businesses became a big deal and, and he was killing it and so they got uh you know executone i can't remember the names but yeah. like the big deal then would be like a drive-through so if you went to wendy's he did the intercom systems and the buttons you know oh, yeah so and, and in businesses too yeah. like the intercom system so yeah. you know you distributed talk, I'm, audio I'm, yeah i'm 50 so this would have been you know 45 years ago yeah. so he was cutting edge sales and my mother finally told him said uh you know i'm going back to knoxville you're welcome to come with me there's a famous story <laughs> after you know six states she had four kids and she didn't drink and, and not much, you know, and, and he was in Jersey, you know, mm -hmm. not going to say anything, but he was, he, <laughs> the South to Jersey is a pretty big culture shock. Yeah, sure. And the story is she died years ago, but the legend is told that he came home and she was sitting at the table with a bottle of vodka about gone and said, well, I'm going back to Tennessee tomorrow and the kids are going with me. You're welcome to come. Yeah. <laughs> but I, and you know, she's like, I'm not a city girl. Yeah. Did he come? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. yeah. They divorced pretty shortly after that. And, uh, you know, he kind of, 
uh, Atlanta and, and all that. But we all stayed here in Knoxville. So cool. yeah, we did all the Farragut High Schools and all that. I went to Bearden. Yeah, right baby. Across, right across town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and ironically, you know, Knoxville's got an amazing music history for a ton of reasons. But, you know, back in my day, it would have been Nick Raskulinic, who's mm -hmm. gone on to produce the Foo Fighters. He's gone on to produce um, Rush, Stone Sour. Wow. He's just killing it. And he was in my era. He probably graduated 87 and 88. Gotcha. Joseph Patrick Moore was our bass player for a while. He's played with Sting. I mean, he's just a legend on bass. Um, Mick Murphy was a baller guitar player. I've back heard these then. names. Oh yeah, <clears throat> Mick has accomplished quite a lot. I think he actually got on stage with the Foo Fighters a few years ago and played oh, wow. Eruption. Ironically, that's so. cool. And mm -hmm. uh, Brian Bell, I believe his name is, who went on to L.A. and became Weezer. You know, yeah. I mean, so there's all these little seven degrees to Kevin Baconness yeah. of Knoxville. <clears throat> yeah, I, and and I've always. I've always been amazed at how much talent we've always had around here, but you, you, you kind of, I feel like we're disproportionately, you know, very few house household names come from Knoxville that, yeah. you know, for the size of, for as much talent as, as we have, it seems yeah. like everybody is, you know, a, a little bit like you and that has done this pro has had these prolific careers that are just a little bit behind the scenes yeah, right. and kind of propping up the big boys. You Mike know? Strickland had said that one time he said, he mentioned that about me and I think Halloran or something. He said, you know, I can't remember how he worded it and I won't even try, but it was, it was very complimentary, but it's that same thing. You know, you uh, shine downs from here. Yeah. I mean, the mighty, you know, Brent Smith and all of his amazing course, uh, I we call him Keith Copper, you know, Keith is in breaking Benjamin now. Okay. So, I mean, you could literally sit there and just do almost a, you know, all these stretched pieces of yarn, you know, yeah, going spider oh, yeah, web, right. You know, and over and literally just a big happy to be such a small town. We punch above our weight in that absolutely. way. I think. Absolutely. Out of the weight class. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, Weezer, um, oh. Gran Torino was in that world. Torino, uh, we yeah. had, uh, uh, who was sucked out? Who sucked out? Sucked out. Well, oh, Super Drag. Super yeah, Drag. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Ta yeah. Talked with the guitar player for them a while back. I see him all the time. And again, yeah. And even the singer and he had his own solo career. Super Drag. I loved that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they were right after my band um, Sage? had kind of run its course. Yeah, yeah, I think that because they were the buzz band on MTV. Yeah. You know, they had this huge career and everything was going. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I kind of did the math because I was listening to a Weezer record lately and it was right at the same time Super, Super Dragon came out. Mm -hmm. and they were almost identical. Yeah. So they were a little ahead of their time, I always thought. But I just thought they were the greatest songwriters. That one head trip in every key is what just love that record. You just listen to that and you're just proud of Knoxville. Sure. You know, that, that's cool. what I remember. And I was in high school at the time when that kind of, yeah. when that stuff came out, but it was, I didn't even know they were from Knoxville. Yeah, either right. of those bands when it, when which it, is the highest compliment. You know? I think so. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. I, didn't, I didn't hear about you from my neighbor. I heard yeah. about you from mainstream radio. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't yeah. that funny? Well, when did you start the, when did you start the music thing? When did you start playing and all that? Man, One of was, four kids. So, <laughs> yeah. So ironically, you know, Eddie just passed a few days ago yeah. or, or whatever, a week ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, one of four kids, honestly, short version would be mom and dad separated, dad left. Um, you know, a lot of tragedy that I don't really gloat on, but I'm more than happy to talk about. But older brother was in a really bad car wreck. He oh, moved man. out when he was 15. Kind of a, a, a problem child, I guess. High IQ, off the yeah. charts. 
uh, moved out. Bored, probably not enough to keep him. Yeah, <laughs> and just very, um, I don't even know if dangerous is a word. Just, he just was, you know, he was going to do, he, and, you know, it was just a, it was a tough, he made the household tough, mm. especially with a mother with four kids. He moved out, got in a horrible car wreck. He was in a coma. He was supposed to die. They had to teach him how to walk and talking for a year. So Man. that was part of my childhood. But again, you know, these are not pity party things. These are things that develop you. Yeah. Older um, brother? It was my oldest brother, yeah. correct. He died a few years ago of HIV. I mean, like I said, he had oh, lived man. a hard life. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was very tough. Um, you know, he was abusive and just had all kinds yeah. of um, but, demons. You know, yeah, and I even, you know, on his deathbed, I totally, you know, forgave him and stuff because sure. he was very, very tough to our family. He was very mm -hmm. abusive and he was very, you know, violent and just... He was toxic, you know, and, and I still forgave him because, you know, uh, hate lives in you, not in them, sure. you know, the rules and yeah. stuff. Uh, older brother and sister, uh, my sister and I were kind of the core unit with my mom. My older brother had lived with my dad when he started getting in a little bit of trouble. So I actually got a guitar on my 13th birthday for two reasons. <clears throat> Number one, MTV had just come out. Sure. And I saw Def Leppard photographs. <laughs> You know, right? Yeah. And back then there was, you know, 30 videos and they just looped them, you know? Yep. And I just thought, wow, that is just, you know, that that black, it's a, it, it looks like a Gibson Explorer, but it's actually an Ibanez Destroyer. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I just, the band was so melodic and had so much, you know, going on, of course, Mutt Lang and all that madness. But the other was my brother um, was working on his Camaro, putting in six by nines, you know, just what you did in the 80s. I guess it was 82. I was 12 years old and he got his stereo fixed and he popped in a cassette and cranked it as loud as he could go. It was Mean Street by Van Halen, you yes. know, with that little percussive. Yes. And I just looked at him. I was like, what is that? And he goes, that's a guitar, man. I was like, I got to get me one of those. Guitar, that's my problem. I don't have a guitar. So I mowed grass and I yeah. bought a guitar when I was yeah. on my 13th birthday of the day, a biggest piece of junk Ever. Electric guitar? Yes. No amp, couldn't afford it. Right. And I just started listening to vinyl records and just Hendrix and Zeppelin and just trying to learn by ear because that's yeah. just what I thought you did. Yeah. You know, Al Gore had not invented the internet yet. Yeah, so sure. it's all we had. <laughs> I've made that joke before on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Not? I love I hope it's for you, Al. <laughs> Thank you. So what what were the what were the influences? The 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 Van Halen stuff and Yeah, it would have been Van Halen for sure. Um I loved like Zeppelin all day long, yeah. every note. Black Sabbath, actually, and Ozzy. Hmm. Um, Ozzy probably more for the melodic Randy Rhodes era. You know, I didn't mind Crew because they were still a rock band back then. Uh, Hendrix all the way um, and stuff like that. So those were the big ones, vinyl yeah. records. And I destroyed my vinyl playing them over and over and over really? trying to learn the licks. Yeah, that, that was before you could just... You know, yeah, it, 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 I, it was very linear. Space then. bar. That's why I tell you know when people gripe now, yeah. I do go old man on. You have no idea what it was like. Yeah, I do a little bit too with the film thing because I oh, learned on film, no, you know. Right? And then now oh. it's like, do you have any idea how much easier this is than I it was know. when I started? And like, doing when it? are we gonna eat? It's like, <laughs> shut your mouth. You get in the back of the car. I will hit you. So, <laughs> so bands and stuff growing up. Uh, when did you start your first band? Almost immediately. So. Uh, I got in our high school band, Sage. It was me, Doug Shock, and Vicka Loggin. And at the time, it was Joey Moore from Bearden. Okay. 
Doug Shock, uh, Sweet Peas guy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, they had kind of a band and I actually joined them because I could play Van Halen. They were like, dude, this guy plays Van Halen. I remember him calling the drummer. He playing Van Halen. Listen, you know, and I don't I ain't talking about love. I don't even know. <laughs> He's in, man. You know, okay, bring him over. And so, uh, we started playing gigs. Hoot Nannies was our first gig. We played the library downtown. Oh, I understand, yeah. you know, we're 15. And going into college bars? 16, going into college bars. Yeah. And, you know, the drinking age, it was 21, but it was still, it was it different was, back then. It wasn't a big, that's why I tell right. my kids, it's like, it wasn't a big deal back then. If you were drinking underage in a bar, okay. But now, you know, it's the death yeah, My dad's 65 years old. He gets carded. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It, it is that big a deal now. Yeah. So. We started playing clubs when I was 15 and 16. So we were all doing that. I was teaching guitar. Um, and then the singer and I started doing these acoustic gigs on the side. So it's like, I just blinked my eyes and I was 17 and had three jobs all in music, teaching mm. guitar all day, wow. playing. And so I think ADD, OCD, I mean, those are terms that weren't thrown around back then, but I just was a busy body. Yeah. And Highly so, productive individual. <laughs> yeah. And so once it literally became about guitar, then it was like, well, okay, so I'll, you know, learn every uh, song on side B of Led Zeppelin for today. And then I'm going to, you know, go to teach my guitar and then I'll play a show with Doug acoustically. And then, you know, we have band, you know, everything was about guitar. And about music, you know, because back then I think the goal was, well, yeah, we got to get on that MTV there. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's going to turn into instant millionaires. Yeah. And, and, and it was, I feel like the outlets then were, were, yeah. were, were very siloed. Like there were a few outlets. There was, yeah. there was terrestrial radio, there was yep. MTV, there was VH1 for a little while, yeah. you know, but, but you, you couldn't just. You didn't have any music you wanted at your fingertips at all times. Well, and that's what, to try to explain to to the newer generation, you know, the kids these days, I, I won't <laughs> say that, but I just did. I'll even tell my kids, I said, you know, you guys, you got to understand if a con if, if Rush came to town, everybody went, you didn't mm. even ask, are you yeah. going to Rush? Well, yeah, yeah, we are. First off, there's nothing else to do. There's three channels on the TV. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to do. You could go to the mall and walk around and hope that you run into one of your friends. Mm -hmm. There's no internet. There's no set. So we literally were entertained by any show sure. who's coming, mm -hmm. you know, is it ACDC? We're going. Mm -hmm. Okay. And literally that was what you lived for the show. I hate that it's not like that. And I know that you'll still go and it's still packed when, you know, so-and-so is playing. But back then you went to every show and even the clubs. I mean, there were great clubs and you didn't know really who was playing because you had to know what you just went to right. a club because there was going to be quote unquote live music, you know, <laughs> and now we look at our phone and we know what time they're starting and, you know, and there's five different shows in town yeah. that night. Yeah. You know? But, you know, and there's good and bad to that. That's what I tell a lot of my artists, you know, in the studio. I'm like, hey, you know, you can make one post and you've told a thousand people. We literally drove around with flyers mm -hmm. and stuck them on windshields mm -hmm. and telephone poles, mm -hmm. you know. So there's pros and cons to each generation, as there always will be. Sure. When did you start touring? As soon as we graduated. Really? Yeah, literally like graduation getting the getting the bus and we just vans rented vans we eventually bought a a, a school bus we called it the cool bus we scraped that one letter off and <laughs> we was were, a simple modification yeah, we were yeah and we were sponsored by budweiser and we were going to wrap it you know oh, in a yeah. bud thing and what we realized after about six months of touring is they never pull over a school bus because they think it's a church youth yep. retreat so mm -hmm. we're like dude we cannot cover it in budweiser we'll be pulled over every six miles <laughs> 
So we'd show up in these cool buses and, but no, so we would go up to Michigan and we'd, you know, do all these little mini tours, one week, two weeks, three weeks, just anything I could book on a landline with sure. all these club owners. Were you doing the booking? Oh yeah. All of, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, and every, the people it, part. <laughs> yeah. And it just, well, and just the, the, you know, the pre Adderall part of, well, I'm going to call 15 clubs yeah. and if I book two gigs, okay, I got sure. two gigs. Yeah. You know, every now and then, Hey, someone had a bar here or a bar here. But what I'd try to do is finally I had some people that go, you know, we'll try to book a, a string of dates through Michigan. And then we started to have some promoters to help us. And, you know, and the one thing beautiful about Vic and Doug, and we had a few different bass players over the years, and they were all great, you know, for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. But I would literally say, hey, guys, I booked, you know, two and a half weeks. We're going through Michigan. And, you know, you're going to be gone from this state to this state. And uh, when we get home, if the if the if it balances out right, I'm going to give you eighty five dollars. And they'd be like, "Cool, man. When do we leave?" And I didn't realize till I started producing bands all the time, and I'd hear them, in, you know, in the studio griping about, "Well, yeah. I can't go and money and this is." I'm like, "Man, you, have you no guys, idea. I know." It's like, yeah. and I did. I'd call my band and go, "Man, thank you guys. Y'all never didn't yeah. want to do a show, right?" They're a, when's the next one? I can't wait. You know, they loved to play. Again, back to that, like, you got Different times, yeah. different times. Yeah. And I remember seeing Super Drag, because, you know, we were all in the same scene. Now, they were more alternative. We were just more, like, rock. Mm. And they were just great. And I just remember, you know, they had a different sound. They were kind of doing that retro thing before retro was cool again. You know, kind of fuzzier guitars, cooler guitars, maybe some Vox amps you know, and just wearing real cool clothes. But, and they were so melodic. John was such a great writer and Brandon, the guitar player just has these cool little intervals, you know? And, and so I respected it for what it was. It was so different. You know, we wished we were Van Halen or, you know, Bon Jovi or yeah. whatever, but I always was able to see another band and go, man, that's awesome. I love that. It's great. So, so how did at some point the crossover happen to, I mean, I guess you were doing a lot for the band. It sounds like, it sounds like you were kind of wearing all the hats. As well, you know, yes and no. I mean, they all, we all did our thing. And I guess, you know, my OCD was just all about songwriting and, and, you know, I bought a four track and, you know, so I, Hey, come on over and let, let me try to record drums. And Ooh, that, that's harder than I thought. And Hey, the, or the, to the singer, come on over, let's work on some harmonies on my four track. Um, but, you know, no, they all did their, like Doug was a hard worker, you know, he'd be building sets or he'd go, you know, renovate the bus and, you know, Vic would do this. So we all had it. We all, again, we all knew our niches, mm. you know, stay in your lane, bro. You know, just like that commercial. And we all knew our lanes. Sure. Um, but the production thing was just an OCD in my head. So when I would write a song, I would hear it completed. Like I heard mm. it, you know, like a Def Leppard song. Like, yeah. And so I was kind of going, okay, so. I hear it and I, I hear my guitar and I couldn't understand the path in between the two. Mm. And that would be production and layering. And, gotcha. And so I kept b getting obsessed. And again, there was no outlet to learn these things other than just, you know, putting on headphones and trying to figure out what's going on. And Scott Rouse, my cousin who had produced really, really a lot of cool stuff over the years, he was the guy that would finally go, okay, man, he'd mute one of the speakers. He goes, now let's just listen to this right speaker. Now, what Mutt's doing in here, he's got that one note over here just kind of droning. But then in this, and so he made me see the canvas. Sure. You know, where we always look at the girl's face in the picture. Mm -hmm. He goes, no, 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 no. Look at the colors in the background. Sure. It makes her face brighter. And look at the lighting and look at, you know. So he started to explain music breaking. So he was my mentor that really made me understand 
why Bob Rock did what he did, why Zeppelin, why Jimmy Page, you know, well, listen to this one guitar. I mean, it makes no sense other than in the song. Like if you heard that guitar by itself, it'd be the dumbest guitar lick of all time. He, he would say, but listen to what it does to the melody. It's almost percussive. And he would kind of make me understand the identities of all the instruments, which was fascinating to me. Right. How, did you ever assign, like do any, uh, like my, my father-in-law is like the violin is, is the heart, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and it sounds like a, like, like a character to each yeah. one of these instruments. Well, and I use those terms all the time in the studio. Cause one thing I don't like to do in the studio is get, um, intellectual mm. or, um, hyper analytical because I believe records are made emotional. Mm. And what you just said, I, you know, I go, man, that piano, you know, it's, it's warmer. Than, and I like to use simple adjectives because, you know, we can sit there and go major sevens and dotted sure, triplets sure, sure. we can do all that game, but I don't think it moves the, it doesn't advance the project, but I sit, I think if we sit there and go, well, okay, you wrote this song, but why is this song good? And let's try to figure out what makes it great and that let's make sure nothing affects that. Mm. So anything we, and you too was always good about that. Sometimes you'd sit there and go, man, those drums, they're kind of puny. Well, yeah, because they couldn't get in the way of what the edge was doing gotcha, or what Bono had to say. And so it was hard, you know, as a guitar player, especially because sometimes you come in as a guitar player going, well, I got to make the, it's like, uh, I, I, years ago, I stopped picking up a guitar first because I thought like a guitar player. Mm. And people would even ask me in the studio, it's like, well, why don't you just pick up a guitar? I was like, because I know how to play a guitar. And if I, if I don't pick up a guitar, I'm going to have to think more, which is what I need to be doing. Yeah. So. I think it was a Derek Trucks, maybe, or, or somebody like that, Joe Bonamassa, somebody that's just that ilk said, was talking about playing with B.B. King and said that they were at some, some jam and it was like, you know, somebody comes in with their break and does some just amazingly technical yeah. riff. And it's just like this, this, uh, uh, you know, just this technical masterpiece. And then they pass it to BB King and he just hits one note Bing. that has more soul <laughs> than everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think on that YouTube documentary, I don't, I don't play the calls. Who's going to play the calls. I don't play calls. I'm like, I love this guy. He's telling you, I don't do this. Yeah. Who's well, going to play the calls? But I mean that, that, kind of yeah. lines up with what you're saying in in that you know you it doesn't have to be this most the, the most yeah. amazing technical thing on every single track yeah you know it, everything's got to do its part to put it together some somebody's got to do the heavy lifting with yeah. the soul and the emotional oh, yeah. part of it well and and again i you know when when uh, even a parent or oh my gosh you got to hear her sing she sing you know and i'm like okay i said don't take this wrong because sometimes it can come off as passive aggressive or whatever but i go singing great is awesome mm. don't get me wrong but I can go down Kingston Pike, which is our main highway here in town, and I can turn left at the first mega church, and I'll hear three people that will blow my mind vocally. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Now, if that person grabs an instrument and tells me a story, I might cry. Right. You know, and there's a big difference. You'll even see that sometimes at a mega church. You'll be like some girl singing. You're like, oh, she's just, it's all about her. She just can't yeah. wait to show me her chops. And then someone else will sing with half her talent and oh, like the right. hair standing up. And you're going, what just happened? I see that in movies all the time. You know, my poor wife, because I'll be going, okay, look at the way the director's framing that. It looks like a comic book. She's <laughs> like, yeah, can you stop talking so we can watch the movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's about emotion. And yeah. is that like is is that what it is that what 
drove you to the studio, you think? Was yeah. trying to pull that out of other people? Again, being that yeah. facilitator. Like well, that. and you know, I can sing, but I don't have a lead singer's voice. I can harmonize. I always say I have I understand I have a really good ear. I totally get that. And I understand I don't have a lead singer's voice. Mm. But I also know when someone's in there and they're an amazing singer, I know how to make them challenge themselves or be better. And I don't know if that was just something I was born with. Mm. Or if it's something I learned at band practices, you know, sitting down with all of our singers trying to get a three-part kind of Eagles harmony on our stuff. Or, hey, sing that a little softer. And that's a little loud. You're a little, you know. So I guess I was producing at band practice first. Yeah. And coaching and this, this, and this. And, hey, can you, you know, watch the tempo here? And what if your kick drum did this? Just out of necessity of just the way it was. And so I think when we started recording, I just started being the guy that would say, I feel like the song's too fast and, and should the melody be that or should it be, you know, and it's always say, we just always kind of ask the question. And when it's right is when everybody's like, wow, that's cool. Okay. Well, you know, cause there's no right or wrong. There's an opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it's just an opinion. And, and, you know, when everybody likes it is when it's finished or when you run out of money (laughs) (laughs) or both. (laughs) To say that on the wall in the studio. Well, and it's funny because one thing, you know, when my career started doing well and the budgets got bigger and you tend to think, well, now, you know, we're going to overcook it and add 32 strings and, and it doesn't mean it gets better. And so what I had to learn, and I actually had the help of one of my friends, Noah Henson, who's with Brantley Gilbert now, he's with Pillar, one of my bands we've worked with since day one. I mean, and very fortunate. We've had a lot of number ones. We've Mm -hmm. had a lot of devil awards. We actually got nominated for a Grammy with this band. And these are, you know, these become your friends because you've made 10 years worth of records with them. But I remember it was really cool. And it it took a lot of guts for him to say, but I was mixing an album and I was overthinking it. And I was turning these knobs a thousand times. Hey, it sounds good, but what if I did this? And he finally one day says, you know, Travis, don't take this wrong. But I like your mixes at about 80% finished. (laughs) You know, and, and you love it to death. Yeah. Yeah. And I overcook it. And I literally thought, okay, what does that really mean? I'm like, okay, no, you hadn't hurt my feelings. Um, and I'm trying to analytically dissect. Okay. Yeah. He's right. You know, I think at the end I over EQ the snare cause I get so excited or I wanted it to sound like this snare over here. And sometimes it doesn't want to be that snare. And so what I started doing was, um, fin- I didn't try so hard. I tried to back off squeezing and tucking and and overthinking Mm. things. And when I started reading about, uh, you know, uh, Brian Eno and the YouTube, a lot of them, they're just the real Rick Rubin. Yeah, man, just let it be, let it fly. And I'm thinking, okay, that's probably where they're coming from on some of that stuff. Some of that stuff gets to a point where it's so perfect. It's like, it's self-aware. Oh, Oh, yeah. And and the mighty Ben Eller, he's the YouTube guy we just spoke of. I just had lunch with Andy Wood and Ben Eller and my artist, uh, John, who was in the studio. And, you know, we all do the nerd texts and all that. And he found a Van Halen track of Lost Control on YouTube. And it's just the isolated guitar. I love those. And his point was, this is the mighty Eddie Van Halen, you know, Mm -hmm. let's, uh, and he said, Travis, it's so sloppy. It's so dirty, out of time, out of tune. It's amazing. Yeah. And he goes, in the song, when, you know, the band's just being amazing, you're like, oh, you're all caught up. And he goes, but when you just hear the guitar, it's a train wreck. It's amazing yeah. how, how that train is. Train wreck. How, 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 I was going to mention that earlier. I've heard some, like, isolated vocals before. And oh, it's like, yeah. that sounds like a Horrible. dead cat. Yeah, yeah. You, you know? 
Well, and they, the rumor is when they started going back, when the hip hop guys started sampling all these, you know, they, they got to Motown and they're like, okay, great. We're going to go sample all these, you know, eight track and 16 track. And so they said they would sample the backup vocals just by themselves. And they were horrible. And the bass guitars out of tune and the B3 <laughs> sounds like ass. And, and what they realize, and then they unmute everything and it's Motown. Yeah. Because everybody's perfectly wrong. And it's awesome. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah. And so that I think with the Van Halen, and you know, people always ask me, "What's why is rock dead?" Right? And I said, "I don't think rock's dead. I think everyone tries too hard. I think we make it too perfect because we can. We overcorrect." I beg my artists all the time, "Hey, man, let's not fix this to death just because we can." Sure. You know, stop at eighty <laughs> percent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and two, you know, even when I'm messing with vocals and stuff, I don't hard tune them, and I don't do because I think it kills them. Mm. And, you know, people say, well, when will rock come back? I was like, it's just going to do what Seattle did back in the 90s when about seven bands at the same time are amazing. It'll Sound just Nirvana, take up. Oh, that. my gosh, yeah. right? And even as an active rock guy, I guess we were called back then, I just remember hearing that stuff going, okay, it's different, mm -hmm. but it's amazing. Soundgarden, you know, even mm -hmm. Nirvana, like I got it immediately. And it was, you know, quote, unquote, out of tune and trashy. Mm -hmm. And all. I was like, man, I love it. It's right there. It, 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 we were waiting to hear that. Yeah, and in a world where rock was getting too perfect, now Def Leppard did it right, but the then wannabes come in and they just overcorrect mm. and it's a bunch of just clowns and they're, you know, and then it's almost like the system gets too uh, serious about it. And then it just takes a sound garden. Well, you know, sound garden was actually pretty amazing. It takes a couple of, gr you know, grungy, you yeah. know, we don't care and our light show sucks. And, you know, and, and it was, it was like, wow, this is what we needed. Sure. I feel so, you. Yeah. What was your first, what was your first, record you worked on we were like okay this is <laughs> this is working well it would have been so uh I, I did our records and that was cool but the problem is it was always this it was the three of us or four of us and i remember i was teaching guitar um and dave nichols was smoking dave and the primo dopes yeah. um and it was jason oweddle i believe who you know was upright bass and i and we were I was leaving guitar, you know, we all taught at the Raw Pains and they were in the hallway. I just kind of sat there for a while and listened. I was like, God, these guys are great. And they were jazz, but it was kind of fusion. I mean, it wasn't, you know, jazz, jazz. It was more like, you know, kick back and have a Heineken and, you know, enjoy some, you know, progressive jazz. And the tones were so cool, I thought, you know, I had a 16 track analog, you know, and a decent Mackie setup for, you know, for a home studio, it was off the charts. Right. I said, hey guys, this sounds awesome. And I always produce my band, which, you know, you always run into the same, you know, problems and the same, you know, triumphs. I said, can I record you guys? And Dave, you know, when I are buddies, he goes, well, yeah, yeah, it'd be awesome. I said, man, I got a 16 track analog. I mean, you know, that's a big deal back then even. It still is. I said, I just, I, I hear your tones and y'all are awesome. And there were no vocals. And I've, you know, I've never mic'd a saxophone. I said, so I just want to practice engineering and producing and, and, and it was funny because I said, I'll do it for free. And Dave was like, no, 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 no. He was, you know, he's a classy guy. He goes, no, we'll pay you. And I think he, you know, well, what do we do teaching? I can't even remember, you know, 25 bucks an hour. He goes, well, we'll just pay you 25 bucks an hour. It's what you make teaching. He was like, I get 25 bucks an hour to learn how to record. Sure. And so it was awesome because I set him up in my living room of my uh, condo at the time in the colonies. You know, I had headphone cables going out the windows in through the back. You know, it was yeah. just total awesome yeah. ghetto setup. And they were great. You know, they played live and 
and I'm up in the upstairs room and, and, you know, the kick, he knows, you know, so they're downstairs play. playing yeah. live oh, yeah. and you're, and you're mixing. And I'm just up there just like, wow. And, and we hit, hit record live. Now we would overdub great. a sax solo and stuff. And then I got to, I couldn't wait. I was like, God, I can't wait to mix this stuff. Cause again, I've never, you know, mic'd an upright bass and yeah. it was cool. I was setting a mic and Jason goes, they usually put it right here. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. cool thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. $25, $25 an hour yeah, to learn. Yeah, like, hey. <laughs> and it turned out, it, and it's the CD they released. And so Smoking that, Dave and the Primo Dubs? Yeah, yeah, back in the day. No, I'm sorry. Jazz Liberation Quartet. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It's an earlier disc. It shouldn't If it's not on Spotify, we need to put it on there. But <laughs> And so then that turned into a band called Disciple. And they were like, hey, man. I, no, I'm sorry. Nailed First. It was a Christian band. And they were kind of doing the Alice in Chains thing yeah. and a little bit of Pearl, you know, and the singer was cool. The guitar player had killer tones, Scotty Hoagland. Um, singer Justin was awesome. And it was very, it was grungish, but it was very, ang you know, just angst. It had all mm -hmm. this, but it was Christian. It was faith-based. Yeah. And they asked me if I would record. I was like, because they liked Sage, what would I had done for yeah. Sage? I was like, well, yeah, same thing. You know, I'm, you know, was what I do teaching, same thing. So, you know, we set up and did it and it was great. And they actually got signed. And then some of their friends disciple, hey, I love your record and I love Sage's record. Would you record us? I was like, okay, recorded them. Well, they got signed. You know, and I, I remember getting to the point where I started kind of canceling guitar lessons, which had been ah. something I'd done since I was 14 mm. to record. And That's kind of how you know that it's changing. And I remember the big day of going, I'm done teaching. It was, mm -hmm. you know, years later, but Disciple got signed. I mean, you know, and then, you know, this band and that band and, you know, next thing you know, it's 10 years. It's, it's the early versions of Shinedown and, and uh, it's just like, okay, I need to be doing this all the time. And I loved it. And I love the fact that one day it's Jesse from 10 years and Brian Voden from 10 years who are just so talented and just so good, you know, and then the next day it was a bluegrass band. And then the next, and some people say as a producer, usually you do all metalcore or you do sure. all bluegrass. I'll have Dolly Parton in and then I'll have, you know, POD. In. It, it just, it, it's just music to me. Yeah. You know, I just, and it doesn't matter to me because I grew up on all of it. Yeah, it's a craft. And the, and the you know, the, the music is the tool that you get to work with to create something awesome. <clears throat> I remember when I first started doing country and bluegrass, very different than rock. You know, rock is all about get the amp sound great and then just put a 57 in front of it, a microphone, yeah. you know. have it. Drums are tough because there's, you know, 30 things going on. But when I started to do um, bluegrass and country, um, it was different. I mean, banjos and dobros, they sound weird, right? And Gary Pachosa was a friend of Scott Rouse's who's done Nickel Creek, Allison Krauss, I mean, Dixie Chicks. And he just was so nice, and he kind of took me in, and I would call and just, hey, man, blah, 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 a thousand questions. And he's just, yeah, man, do this, do this. Do and he gave me the best advice, which is kind of what Noah said. He said, he goes, at the end of the day, a dobro, no, a banjo sounds like shit. Just let it sound like shit. Don't fix it. You know, because I'd be in there trying to, why, why didn't this sound like a Martin? Well, it is not a Martin. It's a banjo. Yeah. And he said, just put a 50, put a SM7 on it, put it through a cool old knee, plug it in and don't touch it. I'm like, okay. Yes, sir. Dobro, you know, he gave me the little, you know, certain, you know, you get three this versus one this and, you know, and rule number one, when you're dealing with those players, they got to be able to play their instrument. 
Yeah, that they're unforgiving. Be ama- yeah, I've heard that that is one of the hardest Ooh. instruments to learn how to play, even for guitar yeah. guitarists. And, the, and even for, I mean, pedal uh, steel, I guess it's a little different yeah. too, right? Yeah. Oh, pedal steel. There's a thousand ways to knock it out of tune, right? Yeah. But and that's the key with the bluegrass and the folk. I always say you can't fake that. You mm. know, you can kind of you can emulate rock. You can do a lot of pop, hip hop, R and B, the post Malone vibes. Do a lot of that stuff. You know, there's a lot of tricks I can do. But bluegrass, you got to play it, man. Mm-hmm. That mandolin's got to be well executed, mm-hmm. you know. So that's a tough one too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the ones who can play it. Smoke yeah, it. and when you get an Andy Wood and you get the mic there, you know, as an engineer, you've come off as a genius because you just set it in front of the right player. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard a lot about that guy. He's is he a mandolin player or guitar? He player? He actually started on mandolin, won world mandolin when he was fourteen. Jeez. He moved to um, Sevierville when he was a little kid. To play up there in the you know the theaters when they were a big deal up there, and then uh, got guitar and discovered Eddie Van Halen. You know he's toured with Rascal Flatts now, and um, yeah, he's fun. I actually had lunch with him today. One of the best guitar players you'll ever hear. That's what I keep hearing. Neil Sean even on social media sings his praises. Mark Tremonti, I actually sent Andy an interview the other day, and at like twenty two minutes, it's Mark Tremonti. Someone sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because I don't think I'd make it 22 minutes into a guy talking about guitar. I'm just not that place in my life anymore. (laughs) But at 22 minutes, I asked and they said, so where are you with X, Y, and Z? Who do you listen to? You know, what's your thing? He goes, well, man, with the internet, you can listen to anybody. He goes, there's this guy, Andy Wood, and he picks so clean. It's insane. (laughs) Well, it's because he grew up on a mandolin. And you don't fake a mandolin. You play a a mandolin. precise instrument. It's small. Yeah, and it is, you know, those 30-second yeah. notes are crisp. Yes. And he did. He said, Andy's the, and Neil Sean, too, he says, one of the cleanest players I've ever heard. And Andy still has soul, mm. which is what we talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Where a lot of those shredders, they can literally phone it in and play a thousand notes, where Andy still knows how to be emotional. He's got a great feel and pool and all that. So, yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, what, uh, at some point, at 10 years, yeah. Right. They, they are, I think when you were recording one of their first yeah. albums, they were, they were, that was when I became aware of you and became aware of them at the same time. You've been working with those guys forever. Yeah. It would have been. A, so I've been at my new studio for 20 years and they were at the old one analog tape. Oh, wow. I want to say the first right way, the original wasteland was done at, uh, you know, on analog tape, because I remember that beginning change my, hmm. it was analog, you know, and you yeah. got the cat, you know, they roll him back and we doubled him and panned him perfectly. Nice. You know, and Jesse's an amazing singer. So it was just this eerie softness we were going for. Perfectly doubled left and right. Analog tape. As in, (laughs) do it or don't do it. You know, do it right or do it. And yeah, that was the song. It was one of the first songs. And it was the song that got him the deal. It was actually charting nationwide. And they were signed. And they signed, you know. Well, it sounds like you got in with a bunch of bands before they were signed and they got signed after you recorded I'd say a record about with 95% <laughs> of my bands I get in on the ground floor. Wow. Yeah, which is fun because we're all so excited. Yeah. You know, and I love working with famous bands or even my bands that become famous. But man, there's a lot of stress and politics mm-hmm. and pressure about sure. that second, third, fourth, and fifth record. I bet. And you got lawyers coming in and you got, you know, AR guys and they want to do it their way. It's like, hey, AR guy who just got a job there three months ago, mm-hmm. you know, this band did it their way and it worked three albums, you know, so there's that as, as a producer, you've got to manage a lot. It's not just the guy in there, you know, helping with the tempo and the feel and the emotion. It's, you got to manage the project. Sure. You 
got to deal with the label. You got to deal with the budgets and the, you know, we deal with that a lot in our, in our business with, with film and TV stuff. It's like, you want to do some cool stuff on the and get in on the ground floor of some cool stuff and you want it to do well. You want it to get better, but you're almost scared because yeah. more people want to put their thumbprint on it. Oh, the bigger yeah. it gets, yeah. more, the more people get money involved in a yeah. project and Absolutely. the more eyeballs you have on it, the more the less it becomes yours at some point. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm in a place, in, maybe it's grumpy old man, but I'm in a place in my life. And one of my, one of my guys that worked with me for years who's gone off to LA and literally just did five seconds to summer in their early days. Yeah. He helped, you know, pull them together. Um, he's done all these great records, doing the new Papa Roach record. It's Colin Britton. His real name is Colin Cunningham, but he goes by Colin Britton because it just sounds so much cooler. It's his middle name. And uh, <laughs> it's just an amazing kid, very talented, great ideas. And, you know, we became friends when he was 15 because I knew his dad, and his dad knew he wanted to, you know, so he hung out in the studio all the time. Great kid. He's killing it now. I'm so proud of him. He's got platinum records. I mean, you know, his accolades are smoking That's mine amazing. already. Yeah. And it was funny the other day because he was talking, you know, because you have to do the live on a couch, deal with an A&R guy screaming at you. And, you know, but he's good at that game that the, the, you know, the business side. But the other day, you know, I'll turn down stuff because I'm like, God, it just sounds like a lot of stress. Yeah. I don't mind the work. Right. But and he goes, you know, Travis, I love you because you refuse to be miserable. <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a good band name. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, refuse to be miserable. Give it up for refuse. And, and it was. It's like, you know, I'm just to a place where I can pre-see that that record's going to be drama. Right. And I'm not afraid to get confrontational if I have to. And I don't need my way, but I need the record to be where it needs to be. Mm. You know, I tell artists that all the time. I was like, we're not going to make my record. We're not going to make your record. If we do our job, these songs will tell us what they want to do. Gotcha. That sounds artsy, but it's kind of cool. It's Eric Baker's that way. You know, a lot of times Eric and I, we've done a lot of records together and we're literally like trying to see what the song wants to do. Mm. Does it want to be folk pick? Does it want a drummer? You know, and, and a lot of times the vocal will tell you that. I, ironically, I start with the vocal a lot of times, which doesn't really? make any sense. He's probably a good guy to do that with. Oh, it's phenomenal because he's all about the story. Mm. And that's the biggest point a lot of people miss. They think, oh, if I sing in key and I sing awesome and the gear is expensive, everything will work out. No, it has nothing to do with that. You can get any of this gear at Guitar Center nowadays mm -hmm. or online. And it's about, did people believe you? You know, Eric says this, he even said this at the Bijou once, I think, or in an interview. I remember he said, you know, that he went in the vocal booth and it was early in his career and he sang and he sang beautifully and he came in and, and I don't, you know, I kind of remember it, but he said, you know, Travis, you came in or I came into the mix room and you said, you know, I just don't believe you. Mm. Like, I don't believe what you're saying is true. And he said he loved that because he thought, man, you're right. I'm trying to sing instead of trying to make you believe my story. Mm. I said, just go in there and stop trying and just let it happen. And he's so good because really as a singer, you're an actor and he can go in there because he wrote this stuff and it's real. He's not singing about songs he doesn't care about. Right. He's singing about life. So he's very able to channel and man, so much so that he will, yeah, he, he, I hope he doesn't, mind me saying this, but he'll cry during a song mm -hmm. and like emotional wreck in a good way. And, and, you know, and he'll even, ah, and he'll go home and I'll be like the next day, I'm like, man, what do you hear what we did? It was amazing. And he's an emotional wreck because yeah. it was an emotional song. But I think to sing that emotional song, you have to become the emotional wreck. 
I don't like that crazy actor, you know, who really yes. thinks he's British for six months. Yeah, the and method Eric, acting. Absolutely. And Eric can do that. Mm -hmm. I remember during Dear Amanda, he came back the next, he even called me that night and he was like, oh man, I just, you know, I, th I think everything, oh, I just feel horrible about what, I just don't think we got anything right. I said, Eric, I think you're drunk and that's great. <laughs> we, he was sipping and that's fine. You know, I think you might have Ubered or got a... But I just remember thinking it was a very difficult day because the content was so mm. painful. Yeah. But I remember sitting there as an engineer and a producer going, man, these are amazing vocal takes. And he left thinking the day was devastatingly bad because the content was devastatingly was so bad. So hard on him, I'm yes. sure. But the, but the performance was amazing. Mm. And so then he came in the next day and he listened back and he, he was literally like, that's from yesterday. You know, he, yeah. he, because he had to live the movie. Sure. And it killed him because it was heavy content. And so that is the beauty of Eric Baker that he can literally method act. He can put himself in a song he wrote. Yeah. But a lot of singers, once they write it two months later, I say this all the time. I was like, I think you forgot what you wrote. Mm. And right now you're just reading the words off that page. And I don't really connect. And that shocks people that have never worked with me because they're like, well, don't you just, you know, why would it, why does that matter? Yeah, I'm just playing the Aren't game. Aren't you going to tune it? You yeah. know, it's like, well, it ain't about tuning. You know, do I believe you? Mm. Is so, that the most important part? Is, uh, hands is down. Yeah. Vocals. Um, says the guitar player, you know, and mm -hmm. I, that's when, when bands get chips, I go, Hey, I'm a guitar player. You know, this is not a, this is not a me thing. I don't sing yet. I'm telling the room that if we don't get the vocals right, we completely missed our mark. And everyone else's job is to not screw the song up. <laughs> and you can play great. You can play simple. You can play technical. Tool is amazing. You know, they're technical and they're amazing. Sure. Those vocals, Maynard does, are still... Jesse, 10 years. You know, Brian writes the coolest music. And, you know, Matt brings these amazing things on top of the music that are almost just orchestral. Yeah. And Jesse just goes in there and just becomes the song. He's so good at that. And I just think that's why they're still around mm -hmm. because, you know, Sonny from POD is the same way, man. He can get in that vocal booth and it doesn't even take him a while to become the, the song because he always was the song and greats do that. Jesse's always the song. Eric Baker's always the song. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest thing to probably teach a newbie, you know, is that it's not about you it's being in probably key. a bit of an intangible yeah. for an artist. Yeah. It seems like it's one of those things you kind of got to, you got to have. A yeah, bit of that. And I call you know, I call it the X factor all the time is, you know, sometimes Prince is just Prince. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, we can practice all day sure. long. We're never gonna be Prince. Right. What are what are some of your some of your other uh I mean, you've worked with so many people. POD, you did some stuff with them. You done a lot. I'm actually currently working with Sonny's solo project. He's working on a okay. reggae thing because he doesn't want to do rock because he is rock in POD. Yeah. And he loves reggae, Rastafari, just that whole thing. And a lot of POD's always had that. Now with COVID, he was supposed to be in months ago. And we're yeah. just, you know, and it's cool. We're getting these tracks from all over the, the world, actually. We're getting these reggae bands. And then That's he'll cool. write, he'll track. He's going to come in probably in a few more weeks if COVID, you know, lines up. Behaves. And yeah, yeah. And <laughs> But it's really cool. We're putting a little bit of modern sound. But a lot of these are just real Rastafari reggae bands. Cause he loves that stuff. I mean, it's who he is. And, um, he's just always been a spiritual leader guy. You know, he's one of the founders of the whosoever's with uh, Lacey from Flyleaf, And 
Yeah, so working with them has always been a blast. That was one of the few bands I ever worked with that was already huge. Mm. So I remember going in intimidated, and I usually don't go in yeah, that's, intimidated. That's not your resting just, state. Yeah, it's like me and you today. Just hey, man, what's up? Good yeah, to meet you. Exactly. And then let's you know let's go make a record. But with them, it's like oh, man. and Dolly Parton, of course. It was yeah. like oh my gosh, you know. And How's I, that? Oh, just euphoric. She's amazing. Isn't yeah, she? and a pleasure to work with. Yeah, every and time it's I've it's done. all real. It's yeah. all real. You know that. I mean, it's just you sit there and go. This isn't an act. There's no, mm -hmm. well, you know, with you guys, you're filming, but with me, there's no crew. There's no, right. no one can prove or disprove the way she treats us. That's why she's never been in trouble for anything yeah. and never had there's a bad no word scandal. said about her yeah. because she is her. Yeah. Unequivocally. And, and again, too, you know, she sat there and just gave quality time to my probably nine-year-old daughter the first time she came to the studio and didn't need to. There was no press. Right. I think she even, even offended a few adults that she walked away from. Well, who's this cute little thing over here, you know? <laughs> It's like, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it, it was just amazing. Yeah. To... Well, I want to I want to get you to your to your tennis tonight. For sure. <laughs> yeah, right, but, right. But I, I do. But, uh, you know, I, I could talk to you forever. I'm just so amazed at, at what all you've done. And, and more than anything, like, I want to thank you because you've you're so you're important to our community here. But you've also just you've provided a lot of people with a lot of really good moments musically, both on the artist side and probably more so on the listener side. Well, and humbling and honored and honestly, thank you. Um, if I did have a legacy, that would be the biggest honor is to know that Knoxville was proud of what I was able to help people accomplish. And I think, you know, and again, you know, I'm not Eric Baker. I'm not 10 years. I'm not shine down, but I, you know, I, I do love them and help them and, you know, and, and all that. So yeah, I, I just love to be a part of this community. And, and people ask me all the time, why didn't you go to LA? Why didn't you go to New York? Why didn't you go to Nashville? It's like, I think I love music enough to where some of those towns it is about the industry hmm. and in Knoxville, it's about music mm -hmm. and there's no, and so it is that. so cool to yeah. just sit here and make music, you know? And then we email the label yeah. <laughs> at the end of the week. It's like, Hey, here's the album. Yeah. Hope you like it. And yeah. if you don't, we're not changing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> did did we miss did we miss anything is there anything uh, we can come back another time and even go a whole to. nother yeah genre of stuff but um uh, yeah. if, if you're down i would love no, to have you I, back anytime. i'm all i'm all about it i'm all about it well travis that flew by thank you so much yeah, for, for coming in and hanging out man it's great to meet you and i really appreciate it hey honored to be here thank you thank you Guys, how'd we do? Did we do all right? Felt like it was good. I enjoyed I enjoyed that a whole lot. I enjoyed you guys being here. Thanks for, for listening. Uh, be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Check out the Patreon if you want to support the show monetarily. Uh, that is patreon.com slash South of Scruffy. Uh, you can click on our link tree on the Instagram page, the link in the bio, and that'll take you everywhere uh, that you need to go. It'll take you to the website. It'll take you to the merch store it'll take you all over the place so get in there dig around a little bit check it out and uh, get involved guys thanks so much for being a part of this i really appreciate it a lot this has been a great year for the podcast thank you guys for being a part of it take care matt honkinen play me out